All right. On this episode, we're talking to dentist extraordinaire, Dr. Teresa Scott. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you. Is that a good title? <laughs> yes. You want to call it that? <laughs> well, I was, I was on your website and, and there's like all kinds of organizations that you are in and you're the president of another organization. And there's so many initials, I can't even remember them all, but you're obviously... <laughs> A well-respected dentist there in the Texas area. You're in Spring, Texas. Where is that near? Um, it's North Houston, okay. basically. Near the Woodlands, Tomball. Like, it's just surrounding areas. Like, you know, Houston is enormous. So it's basically yeah. swallowed up all of the townships around it and stuff. And Spring just happens to be one of those areas in the north of Houston. Yeah, I, I understand you started out as just a... A regular dentist. I don't know what you would call them, but you... Just a conventional dentist. Every dentist starts out that way. I have yet to meet anybody who goes into biological dentistry straight out of school, you know, because they sell it to us in dental school. They tell us, you know, like they didn't even talk about biological dentistry when I was in dental school, but nowadays they're telling people in the dental schools, they're like, if you go into biological dentistry, you're doing bad quality uh, work, you're risking your license, you're you're going against the standard of care. They they sit there and they fear monger and fear monger and fear monger. And so basically people are terrified of going like the new graduates are like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. You know, like they they just that's not something that they can espouse. And most people who go into biological dentistry, the honest truth is we got sick. Mm. You know whether whether we got sick because of the mercury toxicity which the vast majority of us that's that's what happened or we got sick from something else or somebody that we really truly loved like our spouse or our child somebody got sick yeah um, most people don't go into it going oh wow i think this is super cool you know we <laughs> we we find it by accident because in our own journeys we have we have made the decision to start using more natural means. And then eventually, like with me, it took three years from the time where I started going personally crunchy granola, because that's what I call it, Hmm. um, personally crunchy granola to the point where I said either like three years later, I was like, okay, I need to either quit dentistry or find a way to marry what I do with what I now believe, because I can't continue to practice the way that I was, because I think I'm actually hurting my patients. Wow. And I didn't go into this to hurt people, mm-hmm. you know? And so that was, that was kind of my impetus. And, co- you know, it's, it's funny how, how life works because what happened is there's a dentist. He recently passed. His name is Dr. William Glaros, Bill Glaros. And he recently died um, just a couple months ago. Mm-hmm. But anyway, he was the one who was five miles from my office and he uh, I guess had heard about my journey because, you know, word spreads uh, among the crunchy granola crowd. They're like, oh, my God, I think she's going crunchy, you know, or whatever. Uh, the, or they're open to not giving you fluoride, you know, or just whatever. However, the word spreads, word spreads. Um, and so he invited me to the meeting that the IABDM was having at the time in Houston. Usually and we have a meeting once a year uh, in a city, usually a major city. We try to make it, you know, a nice meeting, et cetera. But that year it happened to be in Houston. So he invited me and I went. And funny thing is like, 
the two things that really arrested me, the first thing that got me, honestly, before I say the two things that arrested me was the fact that it was so science-based. Because I kind of went and I didn't quite understand what it was all about. And I was like, okay, I'm going to keep my mind open, you know, and I went and I listened to all these speakers and there, there's so much science and a lot of it I didn't understand. And I'm like, wow. Because huh. like they're talking and it's like in an alphabet soup and I'm like, oh, I don't know if I'm smart enough, you know, uh, because like it's heavy duty science, yeah. you know, I mean, we're talking, they're talking about all sorts of like messenger enzymes and stuff like that. And I'm like, what the what? You know, because I'm not a PhD. My husband has a PhD in biochemistry, but I'm not a PhD in biochemistry. I, you know, I had to have a tutor all the way through. Hmm. chemistry and biochemistry like that was not my forte my forte i'm wonderful at surgery and hands-on things and dentistry yeah i'm great but god bless america introduce math into the principle or or, or a whole bunch of like chemist chemical formulas and i'm looking at you like oh crap um but anyway they had all of that and then the two speakers that just really floored me the first one was the uh, Brad Bale and Amy Donin. They wrote a book called Beat the Heart Attack Gene. Hmm. Um, and again, I took the CE continuum. I was one of the first dentists certified to be a Bale Donin dentist because like it, it completely hooked me. That was where biological dentistry got me. That oral systemic link that showed that gum disease, heart disease, diabetes, and stroke go together like hand in hand. Wow. Like that was like, oh, they didn't teach me this in dental school. And they had the research to back it up because I am 100% a science geek. I'm a science geek that, you know, when I do the the, the PubMed uh, searches and so on and so forth, I go look up PubMed. I don't actually look at the details of the, of the body because they put alphabet soup in there. But I look at the abstract and I look at the conclusions mm -hmm. of the study. And then that tells me, okay, this was, this was, um, something that I can, I can use in my, you know, in my own uh, research or experience or yeah, no, that's not something I can use. Does that make sense? But I'm, I'm very, very science uh, oriented. It's the problem is, is nowadays there's an, an awful lot of really bad science going on out there. Yeah. So it does take some time and some effort to get through the good science versus the bad science, figuring out who's paying for the research because, you know, some pharmaceutical company somewhere is developing something that's going to make them money is, mm -hmm. is how I look at it nowadays, yeah. you know, but anyway, that was the first speaker that I heard and they had all these stories and the stories of like 78% of the blood clots from strokes and embolisms have the bacteria in them associated with dead teeth. Ooh. And my brain exploded. My brain was like, Oh, oh my God, you know, and, and the whole, 50%, a full 50% of all heart attacks are caused by active oral infections, right? So that was the research that they presented. And they didn't teach us any of this in dental school. Nowadays, they're starting to with the dentists. They're like going, okay, you, you need to take a more active role in your patient's health kind of thing. But they still treat dentists as a whole as if we are not real doctors, quote, unquote. Right. Right. And the thing is, is we absolutely are. And in fact, I tell people, look, dentists are microsurgeons. And they look at me like, give me a break. And I'm like, 
No, our operate, we do surgery literally every day. Every single patient that we see, every filling we do, our, our operating field is one millimeter by two millimeters by three millimeters, hmm. right? So it's a tiny little operating field and we have to be accurate. Our accuracy is measured in microns because if, if a filling is too high, our teeth will hurt, right? right? If it's not absolutely dead on, if it's not, if it's not perfect, something else goes wrong. We can mess up a person's bite with a, like their entire jaw with a single filling. We can kill a tooth if a filling isn't perfect, sheer on perfection. Hmm. We can do that. That's like the, that's, that's what happens. So our accuracy is measured in microns. So when, when I talk to people, I'm like, look, it's, we need to start treating dentists as true medical professionals like we are not just tooth mechanics that's not mm -hmm. not what we are you know so anyway digressing um <laughs> the second person that i listened to at that iabdm meeting was um bill henderson and he wrote um healing cancer naturally um he lost his wife and his son his wife to cancer his son to mercury toxicity so he spoke on that Right. And that that year, the year that that I went, it was October. My dad had died from cancer, mm. uh, lung cancer in April. Uh, and my world was destroyed. Yeah. You know, I still grieve him to this day. Mm. So I listened to them and I was like, OK, I am going to. You know, if, if anything happens to me, I'm going to make the decision because everybody in my family, all the women in my family on both sides have gotten colon cancer and died. Wow. Uh, the men tend to get like uh, lung cancer or something like that. But like if they're smokers kind of thing, or they've died of heart attacks and strokes, like literally the speeches that got to me, the, spe the, the seminars that got to me were very, I related them right to my own family. Right. Because, again, mm -hmm. that's how we all function when we hear something uh, that somebody talks about and they're teaching us uh, in a class. You try to relate it to either somebody, either yourself, somebody, you know, one of your patients. Like, that's how I learn. Right. Right. He talked about the, the natural healing methods and little did I know that was sort of the beginning of my journey. It was 2012. And I just kept growing and every year I would take on a new topic. So the first year, of course, because of Donine, it was perio, it was gum disease. The second year was um, mercury. The third year was fluoride. And then that was 2015, right? And mm -hmm. the end of 2015 was when I was diagnosed. So it's, it's, it's just funny how the world works. Had I not been at that particular meeting listening to Bill Henderson, I right. would not be alive now, which means that I'm, and I've said it when I said it, when Dr. Galeros died, I said, we don't realize the ripples we create in people's lives because I wasn't close to Dr. Galeros. He, you know, he had his own social circle. I had mine, uh, et cetera. But had he not taken that step to just invite me, just invite me, Hmm. You know, I would not be alive today. He, wow. You know, I'm incredibly grateful for that, that tiny little stone drop in the water because it created the ripples that then grew and grew and allowed me to be here today. So I'm just, I, we never know how we're going to affect somebody else. We never know. 
Yeah, that's a powerful statement right there. Yeah. I saw that you've got all kinds of certifications to become a biological dentist. Is there an actual point that you're an official biological dentist or is it just several pieces to it? Okay. So there's not an actual like governing body. In other words, it is not recognized by the state board of any state. Right. Biological dentistry is um, a philosophy. There are several organizations that are determined to further the biological dentistry uh, ideals. Let me see. There's the Holistic Dental Association. There's AOSH, which is the American Academy of Oral Systemic Health. There's uh, the IAOMT, which is International uh, Academy of Oral Medicine and Toxicology. And there's the IABDM, uh, which is International Academy of Biological Dentistry and Medicine. So there's several organizations that are, you know, trying to further the cause of biological dentistry, which has probably been around like the the concept of biological dentistry has been around maybe about 40 years, 45 years. Mm -hmm. Um, So, but the idea is that we in conventional medicine and dentistry seem to think that there is one fit all for everybody and that everybody responds to the, the same way. And in biological dentistry, we're like, wait, no, some people can take Tylenol. Other people can't. Some people can take Advil. Other people can't. Some people, you know, do well with, uh, and nowadays they're doing um, genetic testing on people and finding out, oh my gosh, it's true. Not everybody can take metoprolol. Not everybody can take, uh, you know, Coumadin. Not everybody can take all these drugs that they've developed that they've sort of treated people with as if everybody can be treated the same way, Mm -hmm. you know? And biological dentistry is committed to uh, helping people understand that, yes, dentistry has been very toxic. Amalgams are 50% mercury, Hmm. 50%. Like, yikes. And there's no such thing as a safe level of mercury. Right. It doesn't exist. Even the the most minute uh, amounts of mercury, and you got to bring out the hazmat team, and yet it's perfectly okay to put it in our mouths? Yeah, no logic there. Like, yike, (laughs) you know, and fluoride. I mean, there's study after, there's dozens of studies on fluoride that show that fluoride reduces children's intelligence. Dozens on PubMed. And here in the U.S., we think fluoride is a tooth vitamin. (laughs) And in fact, that is how it is presented to patients. It's a tooth vitamin. No, it's not. There's not a U.S. RDA for fluoride. There is not, there's no such thing as a recommended daily dose of fluoride for nutrition purposes. And in fact, fluoride actually inhibits our ability to absorb some of our nutrients. That's why our bones become brittle and Mm. it enhances our body's uh, uh, absorption of other things like fluoride enhances the body's uptake of aluminum. It inhibits the body's uptake of iodine. Yikes. Yeah, you see all the toothpaste out there. They all just are bragging about how much fluoride they've got. It's not just the toothpaste, man. It's dental products. It's the water we drink. Yeah. It's like it's everywhere. We we shower, and, and the, the fluoride is in the water, and so it goes into our skin. Our skin mm. absorbs everything. Wow. You know, so anyway, biological dentistry is, is about making sure that we use materials that are less toxic because, let's face it, everything man-made, 
is going to have some level of toxicity, but sometimes it's worse than others. Right. You know, so we try to use the least toxic, most compatible materials that we can for our patients. Mm -hmm. We try to make sure that we understand that oral systemic connection. We don't look at a root canal as a benign thing. Right. Let's jump back to your own personal journey with your cancer. And you were already in the frame of mind. You're not doing the chemo. What Other than right. checking your dental situation, what kind of protocol or path did you take? So I was initially diagnosed October the 8th. And, you know, it was, it was a, she did the biopsy, I guess, October the 1st. The, mm -hmm. the day after she did the biopsy, my hip started hurting. Um, wow. So she calls me up October the 8th and says, because uh, it was just a, the uterine biopsy. She goes, it's it's cancer, I'm gonna, but it looks like it's contained in the wall based on the ultrasound, so I'm going to recommend a hysterectomy. We did the hysterectomy literally three weeks later. By then, the pain in my hip that had started the day after the biopsy, and I will tell you, I'm convinced at this point that the biopsy is what released it into my bones because it was it was literally the day after that the pain started um, and i had had no pain before then at all i had weird discharge and it was it was odd but it was not painful in any way hmm. so anyway the pain started in my hip three weeks later i had the surgery i had to go to the hospital the night before the surgery because the pain was so bad that i wasn't functioning anymore and it was in my left hip and, you know, and they just, they were like, it's your hernia. Cause I had a hernia in the area. There, there must be something pulling on something. They just, it did not even occur to them that it had already metastasized. Wow. Um, and they did a CT scan the night uh, before my surgery, October 28th. They did it. The surgery was October 29th, 2015. Um, and they did a CT scan and they, they basically said, okay, well, you know, it, I don't see the cause of it because the radiologist missed the lesion that was already in the anterior superior iliac crest uh, that was about the size of a garbanzo bean mm -hmm. uh, that it was in the, you know, and I think that it had had to have started the three weeks earlier, like when, when, you know, the day after my biopsy, like I said, almost four weeks earlier at that point. Um, it had to have started then because there was no pain before then, but it had grown that much in just three weeks. Three weeks after my surgery, I go in to see the gyno-oncologist and he goes, all of your lymph nodes were clean. Uh, you know, and I'm like, well, that's wonderful, but I'm still having a horrible pain. I'm barely walking. And he's like, well, let's get started on the chemo. And I was like, nope, not doing chemo. Um, and he was like, we got it all, but we want to make sure, you know, so we'll just, we'll put you on some chemo. And I'm like, nope, not doing it. Um, and then you get, well, at the very least, go talk to the radiation oncologist and see if you can do brachytherapy. I made the appointment with the radiation oncologist and that appointment was for December the 1st, so two and a half weeks after he said, oh, you're clear from cancer. And that whole time I'm in agony and I'm like, there's something really wrong here. They say I'm clear, but I'm a really tough, tough cookie. Um, I went back to work after the birth of both of my children, 10 days later, right? And yeah. they were both C-sections. Like I'm, I'm not the, the weaky, the weak person who like languishes for weeks after a surgery. I'm up on my feet. I saw yeah. an emergency patient four days after my C-section with my youngest, four days. Wow. I was walking a little slow. 
But four days later, I had an emergency. A lady had knocked out two front, two front teeth and she'd broken them. And she was, you know, she was scared. And I saw her four days later. I'm that person, right? I don't take pain medicines. I'm not, I'm not one of those people who likes to pop pills. I am really, really like tough, right? So if I complain about pain, it's bad. Yes. And by the time that I complain about pain, I'm usually near death. And that's not something to brag about because if it takes that long for me to actually like complain about pain, it could have been caught a lot sooner if I would have just been paying attention. And so anyway, I go on December the 1st to talk to the radiation oncologist and she says, why are you limping like that? I said, because I'm hurting and they keep telling me it's post-op pain, but I've, I've been through 13 abdominal surgeries. This ain't normal, you know? And she goes, well, let's go ahead and widen the scope of the CT scan. I'm going to have to measure you for the brachytherapy anyway, so I might as well make it a little wider and figure out what's going on on that left hip. So she widens it up. And then she sits me down and says, I'm so very sorry. Brachytherapy is a little bit like trying to close the gate after the flood. Hmm. The, there's a big lesion in your anterior superior iliac crest. She, and she says, when have you had any other testing? I said, I had an, a CT scan five weeks ago and they didn't find anything. She goes, well, let me look at it, see if they missed something. The lesion had quadrupled in size. Mm. in five weeks. Wow. Actually more than quadrupled, I guess, because it was almost the size of a small egg. Wow. So, um, cause it was one point, it was 2.8 centimeters. So yeah, about an inch big, I guess a small egg yeah. from the size of a garbanzo bean five weeks earlier. So that would explain why I was in so much pain. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and at that point she was like, we can't talk about a cure at this point. We just need to talk about like helping, helping get you out of pain, making you comfortable so that you can, you know, get your stuff in order, you know, get your life in order and so on and so forth. Like she couched around it and, you know, hemmed and hawed, but basically it was a, uh, there's no cure. You're going to die and you need to get your affairs in order because you have very little time, Wow. you know? And that was like, it was me looking up the uh, statistics and stuff that helped me understand that it was a 1% chance, mm. you know, and she was like, it's, it's a year and we can, you know, we can buy you a year with chemo without chemo. Th this, this is going to get much worse. And I was like, I'm not doing chemo. And she goes, well, I can offer you radiation. I'm like, what's the point of the radiation? She said, well, she said, nothing is working for your pain, so I can at least try to do the radiation on the lesion in the hip so that it, it helps to manage your pain. And I said, okay, because there wasn't a pain medicine that was working for me at that point. But I said, I want you to make it as small as possible. I don't want to have that radiation go any further than just that spot. Right. You know, and she did widen it a little bit um, as far as that goes. Um, but just, just to make sure that she got all of the margins, but that was it. And that's the last time, like I, she did the radiation treatments. Uh, I had 13 sessions of radiation and then that they ended December 24th and, uh, we headed to Mexico that same day to go to a holistic cancer treatment center in Mexico. And I was there for three and a half weeks. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and the entire time I was there, I was researching every single natural cancer uh, cure, every single natural cancer treatment, all the stories I could find. And back then, I mean, that was seven years ago, right? You know, the, the healing strong thing back then, there was hardly anything. Yeah. Like literally hardly anything. Uh, I couldn't even like convince the doctors to give me IV vitamin C. And there was something inside of me. And this is where the the faith component comes. Like I truly believe that there is a quiet voice inside of all of us that if we just listen, I think that intuition is basically God speaking to us, hmm. you know? And yeah. if we would just listen, our 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 intuition is a very, very quiet voice that, that tells us, you know, the truth here. You know what I mean? That's what intuition right. is about. It's about recognizing truth. And everything in me kept saying vitamin C, vitamin C, vitamin C, and good Lord, I had trouble getting hold of it. Hmm. There was nobody in my area doing IV vitamin C back then. Nobody, Man. you know? except one doctor. And when I went to go see him, he wouldn't do IV vitamin C, but he gave me $1,400 worth of supplements of which when I researched them, some of them were for like testicular cancer. I'm like, dude, what the heck? Or (laughs) prostate cancer. I'm like, what? So at that point, once I, once I realized that I was like, okay, I can't go back to him. He's a quack. And that's the problem is that when, you know, trying to find doctors who will, who will help us, in in our own healing journey, it has to be us who take um, who take ownership for our own healing. Right. But you know, if we're if we're seeking the help of a, of a functional medicine doctor or something like that, who to try to help us heal, you know, we have to do our due diligence because there are quacks out there. There are people who are in it for the money, and they're not really there because they really want to help. Right. You know, so it's important to take ownership for oneself. And then the other thing that I always tell people is you can't own somebody else's journey. Mm-hmm. You cannot own somebody else's journey. Like a man contacted me day before yesterday to talk to me because his wife has uh, ha- endometrial cancer, stage 4B, and she's gone through conventional means and she's... Um, terminal. They're not, they're not, um, she's not doing well. Mm. Um, and so he contacted me out of the blue and he wanted to talk to me, you know, in, in the course of our conversation, he was like, she's tired and she doesn't want to fight anymore, you know? So I need you to tell me what to do, how to convince her. And I'm like, dude, you can't care more than she does. You can't fight her battle for her. He has to find the strength within her to fight that battle for herself because it's not something you can do for her. And Mm. if she's ready to give up, the very best you can do is love her. And when she's ready to say goodbye, you say goodbye, you get yourself prepared, but you cannot care more than a person does about themselves. Yeah. Like, and that, that's not just for cancer. That's any battle, alcoholism, you know, you name it, like you can't fight the battle for them. They got to fight it themselves. It's a very personal battle between the person and their disease. And, you know, they can either, they can either say, this is not going to define me and this is not going to beat me. Or they can say, this is, this is how I'm going to define myself and I'm going to accept the death sentence. 
Hmm. Yeah. You know, it's hard to do. That's it. Oh my gosh. And I felt so, I was crying Hmm. when I was speaking to him because I was like, I'm so sorry. You cannot fight this for her. You can't own it for her. You can get her all of the treatments in the world. IV vitamin C, IV ozone, all the herbs and supplements. But if she doesn't own it, then it's not going to work. Mm, and, it, and that's 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 super important to know. Yes. Yeah, so, so how are you doing today? Well, December first made seven years since my death sentence, All and right. you know, so clearly I've survived. Um, <laughs> I put myself into remission with IV vitamin C in ninety days. So wow. not ninety days from the day of my diagnosis, but ninety days from the day I started the IV vitamin C. It took me until March first of 2016 to find a way to get vitamin C because I could not get it. Like literally couldn't find anybody to do it. So crazy. Um, so yeah, but once I started 90 days later, I was in remission and Man. that's beautiful and astounding and miraculous. And I, I'm incredibly grateful. Um, so May 31st, 2016 is what I consider my remission date, I guess you could say. And since then, I've, it's never come back. I did fight an additional, I did, I did an additional three months with IV vitamin C because my determination was like, I am going to kill this thing dead, you know? <laughs> and that's how that I, I, I approach life that way in general. I, I put my, my dukes up, so to speak. And I'm like, all right, bring it, you know? <laughs> and, and that's just how I approach problems in general you're you know, irish aren't you I, ah well there's there's some <laughs> irish in there clearly um you know with the last name like scott and the family names like burns and kilgore i would say yeah <laughs> there's some irish in there for sure but there's also spanish half uh, of me is spanish from spain uh, and you know they're quite a um a strong people as well so i definitely get it naturally, I guess you could say, but I'm just that kind of a person. I, I, I'm all, I'm all in, Yeah. you know, I'm 100% in. And so when people go to my practice, right, they see that the soap in my bathroom is essential oils based. I'm not going to use dial. It's not happening. It's toxic, yeah. you know? So it's just stuff like that. Like the cleaners we use, vinegar, hydrogen peroxide, you know, like I, I don't, we don't use nasty stuff. I'm, I'm, I'm all in, you know, so it's how <laughs> I do life. How can people like myself, I've, I've been going to a regular dentist, you know, he's a great, great guy. Um, and very convenient. Cause like, I think I was telling you earlier, it's right next to my neighborhood. Um, right. but then I thought, man, I heard about the root canals, which I've, I think I've had two of those. I thought that's not good. Um, Please tell me they're not on your Front teeth? No. Okay. No, no. Thank you. <laughs> no. Well, then wait. No, I was thinking you had a different kind. No, your skin. That's a different meridian. Never mind. Yes. Yes. Um. Yeah. So I can't remember which meridian the skin is on, but no. Seriously, it's um. Hmm. Yeah. Front teeth is urogenital, like you know, urinary tract, reproductive, prostate, yeah. that kind of thing, ovaries that kind of thing. I don't have any root canals in my mouth. That wasn't my issue. My issue was mercury toxicity. Yeah. I still have one, one uh, silver 
thing in there. So that needs to be taken care of. And yeah, so, every time you chew. Yeah, I just don't chew anymore. <laughs> <laughs> to find a good biological dentist, you just have to Google that or is it a, a special place to go? So or? you want to do your due diligence. And the reason I say that is because there are pretenders out there. I have mm -hmm. several within just a few miles of my office. So, you know, who will claim that they are biological, but I'm like, okay, if you really are, put your money where your mouth is, do the education, get the accreditation, get the, because it's easy. And I will say this, and I'm not in any way being negative uh, against the, uh, the organizations, but if an, if something is, is just as easy as getting an online certification, Mm -hmm. that's too easy. Right. Anybody can do it. Does that make sense? Yes, definitely. So you want to do your due diligence because there are people out there who do the online certifications because they know that it's a patient driver. They know people will find them mm -hmm. to do the uh, safe amalgam removals or something like that. And I say this because I've had, I had one patient who came to me after they saw somebody else who claimed to be biological and they had had the rubber dam put on their mouth and they'd had the oxygen put on their nose, et cetera. Right. But the doctor and the assistant didn't wear any special equipment hmm. and the doctor's assistant was pregnant. Wow. So that's, you know, you, you have to look at their true sincerity you have to look like I have zero problem showing people what, uh, what my amalgam protocol looks like. I have it on video. Hmm. You know, I show people exactly what we do. We actually filmed something. It's like 15 minutes long that we filmed that shows, obviously it's been edited because otherwise it would be longer. Um, but it's, it's 15 minutes of showing people everything that I do and everything that I have to do safe amalgam removal. And we filmed it during COVID. So of course we're wearing a little bit of ex extra protective gear just because COVID, um, <laughs> you know, uh, was such a, yeah. you know, like they, they made life interesting for any, anybody wanting to practice dentistry. Mm -hmm. And so I am not a masker. I don't believe that masks are good for people. I think they restrict our oxygen yes. uh, intake and I don't think that they're good. And so what I did during COVID was I invested in uh, something called a capper, which is a positive air pressure respirator, hmm. right? Um, so that I could breathe because I, I couldn't breathe with the, the N95s. Right. Um, and I couldn't imagine spending eight hours a day doing that. Like I, I, I'm like, they're out of their ever loving mind thinking <laughs> yes. that that's healthy. Um, and so I found a way around the rules that still helped me be compliant, but so that myself and my team members could breathe. Yeah. Um, they're not cheap. It's $2,000 respirators, but my God, I, I could not have functioned with all of the regulations that were in place for my profession had right. I not had those. So, you know, the film is, is right, you know, when I only had like two of those, but now every team member has one of those if they need it. If we ever go into another one of these silly things, um, we've got the respirators. Um, but thank you, God, we're back to just, you know, practicing as normally as possible. I will tell yes. you, though, those respirators come in super handy when I'm um, – so dentists, I don't know if anybody knows this, but dentists have a 22 times, not 22%, 22 times – 
higher rate of um, pulmonary fibrosis. Wow. And it's because of all of the, like the, the things we breathe in when we're doing lab work, uh, yeah. like trimming acrylic or trimming um, stone, mod, the stone, the plaster for the, the models and so on and so forth. Right. And, you know, a lot of us, again, because they told us, oh, you're fine. <laughs> a lot of people don't wear proper protective equipment when they're doing those things. Well, since I have the respirators, boy, howdy, do I? You know, we wear that. That's that's pretty much when I wear my respirators nowadays is when I'm doing that kind of heavy duty stuff. Because even when I'm using my big old uh, Dentaire vac, which is this big old, uh, it's like a vacuum cleaner with a huge hole. And uh, mm. basically it, we put it in when we're doing amalgam removal, we put it right in front of the patient's mouth. Mm -hmm. um, but actually nowadays I use those things whenever I've got any kind of aerosols generated, not just amalgam removal. Um, and the reason being, it turns out huh, the one thing that, that COVID, um, you know, you always have to find the positive in something. So I used to get sick three to four times a year because of st things my patients brought me, you know, uh -huh. they were sick, they came in, they didn't realize they were sick or they just thought it was allergies. And then I got sick right. you know, from it. And all of my team members, the same thing, anybody, you know, travel around, you're sick and so on and so forth. So what we did in our office was, again, I'm, I'm, I'm one of those people that tries to engineer things um, mm -hmm. and find, find the, the, the most complete way of, of fixing something without having to give up the quality of your life. So where in COVID, you know, people, a lot of people just sort of masked and they thought that that was good. I was like, yeah, no, that's not going to work. So I brought air filters into my office that like literally we have an air filter. It's called a surgically clean air. Mm -hmm. um, and it it's an amazing air filter. And um, I highly recommend them. Also not cheap, but, you know, as far as I'm concerned, they're totally worth it. We have one of those in every single room, every single treatment room, including the patient restroom, huh. you know, has a surgically clean air. Right. Because people come in, they don't realize they're sick, et cetera. That cleans the air. And because I have one in every room, it's literally got sterile air. If I started it from zero, three minutes later, I would have sterile air in the treatment room. So we have sterile air because those things are going 24 seven. We have sterile all the time. We're not catching stuff from wow. our patients. And then we have also the Dentarevax, which is that big, um, the, the big thing that sits in front of the patient's mouth, sucking out all of the aerosols. And then we have the, the dry shield. So that, that's a suction that we put inside of the patient's mouth, keeps their tongue back, keeps their cheek back, keeps the field isolated so that I can do my work uh, and, and nothing goes down their throat. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, if I'm working on the, but if I'm doing amalgam removal, then we do the rubber dam, we do all that other stuff. So it's a big deal, you know, but at the end of the day, we've managed to engineer it in such a way that other than the few minutes that we have to wear our mercury vapor respirators, right? Mm -hmm. We're not having to wear things where you really can't breathe. It's okay to wear the mercury vapor respirator while you're removing mercury. Yeah. It's not okay to have to wear that thing 24 hours a day, right? It's not okay to even have to wear that thing six hours a day. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's one of those things that as soon as I'm done with that, I'm, I'm already like, I'm like, okay, I'm getting out. They're going to do their thing. And, you know, we're cleaning the room, et cetera. It's, I'm, I'm just one of those people, like I said, I'll, I'll engineer something to death so that I can live my life and feel normal rather than have to 
do something that makes me feel less than comfortable. Yes. You know? Well, wow. My brain hurts now for all the information you've been giving me. <laughs> hey, sorry. Which, <laughs> but don't worry about it. It doesn't take much anyway to make my brain hurt. But, <laughs> but I've written down things anyway, and I think I found me a, a biological dentist that I'm... Oh, so back to finding a biological dentist. That's See, I digress and I get, I get, <laughs> I get distracted. So how to find a biological dentist. Number one, do your due diligence. Right. Like seriously, if you need to. Ask them to send you a picture of them doing safe amalgam removal. Mm -hmm. Any dentist, any biological dentist worth their salt has either a picture or a video showing their process. Right. Right. And I don't mean talking about it. I mean showing it in action. Show me what you do. And the reason I say that is because if they're just talking about it, then you don't actually see what they're doing. And I'm... I'm in the process of refurbishing my um, my website so that at some point I'm going to put that 15 minute video that we talked about on mm -hmm. my website. Uh, and I'm going to just, I'm going to say, if you're looking for somebody uh, who is, and I'm happy to like email it to you or email it to healing strong so that y'all can put it wherever you want to. Cause if you're looking for somebody who is doing safe amalgam removal, you want people who take this kind of precautions, yes. you know, it may not be identical, but it needs to be pretty darn close in terms of the, the equipment that they use, in terms of the precautions that they use, in terms of what, um, you know, obviously put the disclaimer in there that it was shot during the beginning of the pandemic and we had to wear extra, uh, extra masks and stuff because nowadays we, you know, like I said, but nonetheless, oh. it's, I show everything that we use and I show it because it's, you know, important to have air cleaners. It's important to have negative ion generators. It's important to have the, the dentair vac or, or something similar. It's important to have all of those things. It's important to take care of our patients and make sure our patients are covered properly, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. and they don't need to be breathing that stuff and they don't need to, like, we don't need to be breathing that stuff. And it's just, there's so many people out there who are not doing it correctly. So do your due diligence. That's number one, right? Number mm -hmm. two, make sure they've attended meetings. So with the IAOMT, what they do is they'll say uh, on, when you're searching for a biological dentist, it'll say whether or not a person is smart certified and or accredited. So I'm both, right? Then whether or not they've received fellowship and mastership, et cetera, right? So they've got some doctors that have received like all of it. And then some people like me, my doctorates and all the letters that come after my name, I got my mastership and my fellowship in biological dentistry, uh, you know, and, but I got it through the IABDM, but nonetheless, the IAOMT will tell you how many meetings that doctor has attended. Okay. If they've, if they've not attended any meetings, if they just got their, their certification, like just do your due diligence. Clearly, if they're not interested in going to the meetings, are they really uh, interested in being biological dentists? Right. Right. Because you, in the more meetings they go to, I think I've been at five or six now or something like that. I need to go to the next one. I've just been a little busy lately. Um, <laughs> uh, but I think I've been to like yeah, four, five, six, something like that. Um, if they've not gone to any meetings, maybe try to find somebody else. And if they've, if they've got their smart certification and their accreditation and they've been to several meetings, great. That's wonderful. But that isn't everything. And do remember everybody's on their journey, right? Right. So I have people 
who have been biological far longer than I have, right? Mm -hmm. um, it, and you kind of can sense when somebody is being, and if you have to go visit the dentist and have a consultation with them and so on and so forth and spend the money out of pocket to really gauge whether or not you think that they're on the right path, do it. It's your life on the line, especially when you're a warrior. Right. This is your life on the line. This isn't something to play with. When wow. you're a cancer warrior, man, you do <clears throat> not want somebody mm -hmm. putting toxic crap in your mouth. You want to make sure that your teeth are taken care of. And if, if somebody isn't like a regular dentist is not trained to do safe amalgam removal. They tell us in dental school that it's safe to remove it with nothing. So, you know, they're, they're thinking that we're crazy as biological dentists because we actually use the PPE. We actually use all that per that protective equipment. And they're like, these people are just going overboard. They're stupid. They're crazy. They're, they're just quacks. They're trying to make money on it. I'm like, uh-uh. I don't know anybody who's gone down this road who hasn't gotten sick. They right. went down this road because they got sick. We're not crazy. We're trying to make sure we can still do our jobs. Yeah. They love dentistry. Love dentistry. Yeah. Hmm. You might be a little crazy, but that's beside the point. Ha! Ha! <laughs> I actually like my brand of crazy. <laughs> That's right. We all need that. Yeah, I want my my brand of crazy. My brand of crazy kept me alive. That's right. So I'm good with it. Well, Dr. Scott, how can people get a hold of you if they want to know more information? Um, well, the office email is info at holisticdentalassociates.com. Mm -hmm. Uh so that that I know it's a long one, but thankfully it's mostly easy to spell words. <laughs> um, you know, and they're welcome to call the office. They're welcome to email the office. That's the easiest way in terms of that, because obviously I never see email. And I will tell you that I have 300,000 emails. And if you try to reach me on my personal email, I will never see it. <laughs> um, unless you actually text me too. And then, you know, Facebook message me and say, okay, I, I want to let you know I sent you an email. The poor gentleman who contacted me the other day, he apparently had contacted me through LinkedIn. I'm never on LinkedIn. That's like email, that's you know? Right. And so finally he contacted the office and that that's how, you know, that's how he finally got a hold of me. So yes, it does happen. Um, I do have a Facebook group um, mm -hmm. on, on Facebook. Otherwise you wouldn't have a Facebook group, right? Exactly. Uh, it's called, <laughs> it's called food for living. And it's where I tell my story. I have it all in the featured section, I think is what it's called. You know, and that, that is basically where I tell every bit of my story. I don't really hold anything back. I, I'll even talk about like the supplements I took. Although the other day I found out that um, Facebook decided that some of the, some of my responses <laughs> on my own group were spam. <laughs> wow. Um, and so they deleted my responses with links to like the vitamin D supplements that I was using at the time. <laughs> I'm like, are you kidding me? But you know, it is what it is. And so if somebody has a question and they join that group, I, I do always try to answer. Um, I do. It's, I moderate my own group. Uh, etc. So if there's something that somebody wants to ask and it's it's uh, pertaining to being a warrior or something like that, they're welcome to ask me. I'm always available. Like people can contact me on 
uh, Facebook as well, you know, and I'm always, um, uh, I'm, I'm one of those people that's genuinely interested in trying to help. And, and at the very least I will answer questions, et cetera. You know, I do try to guard my privacy, uh, somewhat. So, um, if, if somebody really wants to like be my friend, they do need to like, tell me, you know, why, and we have to have friends in common, et cetera, because I do have people who just, you know, who want to stalk me and stuff. People yeah. are weird. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <they laughs> you, know? Are. Um, you know, but at the end of the day, I'm, I'm super easy to reach in general. I'm, I'm pretty accessible. I, I haven't reached, um, celebrity status, I guess you could say. <laughs> and I don't know that I ever will. So, you know, that, that part of it is just, I'm, I'm just a real person. I'm authentic. What you hear is exactly what I'm like. I'm not, I don't put on airs for anybody. I don't, I'm mm -hmm. just authentic. I don't know any other way to be. So yes, what you see yes. is what you get. <laughs> what yeah, you hear you, is what you get. You can only be yourself. It's, it's harder to try to be somebody else. So I've, I'm finally yeah, learning that. Yeah. 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 It doesn't work to try to be anybody else. And I've, I learned a long time ago that every time that I try to, cause I'm, I've always been an outsider always like literally from the time I was little, uh -huh. I've always been the one that doesn't fit in. I don't fit in socially. I'm a geek. I'm, you know, I, <laughs> yeah. I was just weird. I've always been a little odd. Um, <laughs> and I'm, I'm okay with it. I've, I, like I said, I've come to the point where I like myself exactly the way I am, uh -huh. my brand of oddness, so to speak. And, and I just, I'm happy that way. So I'm perfectly happy being the odd duck. Yeah. Um, and I don't, I don't feel the need to fit in. So because Perfect. of that, you're not going to see me try to. Yes, that's good. Well, Dr. Scott, thank you for taking the time out to share your story and, and all that information. Like I said, it's hurting my brain right now. So I might, well, I I'm always happy to chat again if it's too much. Yeah, you have to break it down <laughs> a little bit. You let me know. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm happy to actually do that. There's so much in biological dentistry that if you ever wanted to like do us, you know, sections of biological dentistry. Like if you wanted to talk about gum disease one time, and if you wanted to talk about amalgams and mercury another time, I'm happy to do that. Cause like literally there's just so much to, to learn. I, I had somebody come follow me around for a couple of days, a dentist who's contemplating becoming biological. Mm. And by the time he was done, he was like, Oh wow. I didn't realize it was so much. And I'm like, yeah, no, it's not something that you're going to learn in a weekend, yeah. you know, or a, two days of following me around at the office. The only thing you're going to get after two days of following me around at the office is know that I'm a perfectionist who, um, who literally insists on everything, you know, being just so, yeah. you know, and that's not a bad thing. That's actually a really good quality for a dentist to have. Yes, definitely. So, yeah. So, okay. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much. All right. Such a pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. This has been, it's been fun.